Canucks Central Monday. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah in the Kintech studio. And it's uh, Jim Rutherford Monday. Oh, boy. Well, people will stop talking about the uh, now infamous interview that he did on uh, Canuck Central and just replace it with that midseason press conference he did. Will they, though? Probably not. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it'll come back. But, man, a lot to dig into. I know everybody's fired off their takes. Yes. Uh, I know uh, Canucks talk was breathing fire. Bick's gone through it. Sportsnet 650, take central. Yeah, tons of takes. And it was great great listening throughout the day mm-hmm. here on Sportsnet 650, starting off with that 45-minute media availability by Jim Rutherford. And I don't know. like it's. I totally understand uh, why people are reacting the way they're reacting. Uh, but I wonder if we learned some things throughout his availability. We definitely did learn some things, and that's where we'd like to take this conversation because as much as, yes, we can debate the merits and we will debate the merits of the retool versus rebuild comment and the types of players that they are going to try and acquire to take this team forward, Jim Rutherford did reveal a lot about his plan for where he sees this team moving forward you wanted to hear more about the plan we get your texts all the time about wanting to hear more about the plan and now you've heard about the plan but you don't like the plan that's the problem now so um and i get it like there's reasons to be skeptical of the plan laid forward yeah by this team what we learned today the bet is on Pedersen and hughes and Potentially Demko. Yes, Miller. They see they have more pieces with Mikheyev, whom they signed. Uh, Kuzmenko, who they clearly want to keep here in Vancouver. That's something we also learned today. Hoaglander, Podkolzin. Like, the future of the defense is still the murkiest part about this team. But we know that there is a core that Jim Rutherford believes in that he can build something competitive around. Well, he reiterated his belief in the core, and yeah. we can rightfully question that, whether that's the right thing to bank on and whether they've justified mm-hmm. you still believing in the core. And I think the question is, how big is the core that he's talking about? Yeah. And as far as... Is that just two players? Yeah. Is that maybe potentially a few more on yeah. the fringes? And to your point, like they did talk about their plan. So I see people say, what plan? They don't have a plan. They do. You can justifiably not like it. He spent 45 minutes telling you what the plan was. Yeah, which is a retool, not rebuild, which, again, it comes down to definition. And the way he mentioned the major surgery contradicts it because major surgery leads you to believe it's more of a rebuild as opposed to a retool. Unless you classify— Unfortunate turn of phrase, by the way, on the day. Yes, (laughs) yes. Probably better choice of words could have been had. Totally. I completely agree with you on that. Uh, And— so, so as far as all that goes, it comes down to the degree of it, and we'll see what the degree of it is going to be. Because all along, they weren't going to trade Hughes and Pedersen. Nope. They weren't going to trade Demko, most likely, and they signed JT, mentioned JT. Is that the core four, and then you add Besser, maybe, because you're not going to move him? Kuzmenko and Miller, I mean, Kuzmenko and Mikheyev. Like, are those the guys, then, yep. that you're kind of looking at, that we're keeping the rest we're open to trading? And we talked about even Toronto kept some guys. So it's, it's okay to keep some players. Like, they kept Morgan Riley, Jane Rams Reemsdyke, Jake Gardner, um, you know, uh, Nazem Kadri, and the list goes on, even Tyler Bozak. So you can keep some players, right? Yep. But how are you acquiring more assets? And when you've heard the plan or the phrase retool be presented in Vancouver before with the mm-hmm. previous regime, the retool on the fly that so clearly failed and you still have nightmares of watching Lyndon Vay's number seven jersey, trying to figure things out uh, on the bumper spot in the power play. You watch Sven Berici stay on the perimeter and then just kind of fizzle away from the National Hockey League. Like, when you have these memories of the second round picks this team p- paid during the retool on the fly, I can totally understand why that phrase is not inspiring. But uh, yep. they did express a plan, which was more of that retool as opposed to tear it all down. But they are going to be trying to get younger, and yes. they are going to be trying to get better in two years. There is a plan. You may not like it. Uh, as much as uh, the talk about wanting to get, you know, players that maybe haven't yet turned out after their entry-level contracts and that got a lot of, uh, you know, Spocky and eyebrows raised once again at at Jim Rutherford. Uh, He did also say, we'd like to get more draft picks. We'd like to get some more prospects into the pool. Like all, like 
they're trying to do a lot of things at once. And that's very difficult in the National Hockey League. They've definitely chosen a path Mm -hmm. that's not the easiest path to go down. It's littered with potholes and speed bumps and a lot of gnarly bleep that's probably going to put some holes in your tires along the way, as we've seen here. But that's the path that they've chosen. They've outlaid their plan. It's up to you to decide if you like that plan or not. And I know which play most people are thinking of after today. But when we talk about that core, Sat, it's fairly obvious after today, Bo Horvat is potentially not a part of the future core of the Vancouver Canucks. So I want to go to the clip from Jim Rutherford on Bo Horvat and... It tells us a lot, not just about the negotiation and where things stand with Horvat, but potentially what other moves are on the horizon for this Canucks team. Let's hear it. We've, we, I believe, have taken our best shot. And the contract that we have on the table for Bo right now, I think is a fair contract for what he's done up until this year. But it's certainly under market value for what he's done this year so we're you know we're in a pickle here okay he he's had a career year career run and he's looking for his money he deserves it I don't blame him but even with what we have on the table for him now without any changes which we know whether it's through buyouts or something there will be changes for next year um, we're well over the cap on the projection okay now in that projection, you have Pullman in there. Will he be on LTIR? I don't know. There, there's there's ways of moving money around. There's creative ways. But the fact of the matter, it's always a tight fit. So there is uh, Jim Rutherford on Bo Horvat. And uh, it's rare you hear a uh, president of Hockey Ops be so open about a negotiation yeah. in the media. But this is not anything too dissimilar from what we've told you on Canuck Central in the last weeks, other than, and there's layers to this, so stay with us, but we'll start with, we've made our best pitch to Bo Horvat. Do you believe that to be the case, Sat? I do, but also, if we're talking about, like it's been mentioned, it's a $6.5 million offer over eight years, which is $52 million, which is a, the Braden Shen contract. Yeah. And all along, we said, hey, I know Earth mentioned seven times $749 million or between 52 and a half, which was a Shen deal. That's kind of been the range mm-hmm. we've, we've been wondering about where the Canucks would go. Would Bo want to go that far? Do I think if Bo's camp comes and says, we'll do seven times eight, would Vancouver consider it? My opinion is they might consider it, but there doesn't seem to be a bridge to that right now. Yeah, you know. But I was always, I was, I've always wondered: is that something they would do seven times eight? Would they go to that level? Right now, he's essentially saying that's not happening, based on what we know so far with the negotiations. So, could there be some movement? I still say yes, potentially some, but we're talking 500k per year, and is that going to be enough if Bo feels like he can get? Nine times seven for somebody. Cough, cough. Yeah. Columbus. And look, uh, it, there's a lot of different ways you could read that comment. Bo has chosen to take the high road. He has said he does not want to negotiate in the media. And very clearly, you know, the president of Hockey Ops kind of negotiated in the media today, being like, yeah, we've made our best play. It's up to the captain now to make his decision. So that's an interesting part of where that's at. But. What I think a lot of people are wondering is, okay, well, how do the numbers add up? Mm. Because the Canucks have 14-ish million in cap space for next season. How could you be over the cap on a potential extension with Bo Horvat when you have $14 million in cap space? Even if you were projecting for Bo's next deal to come in at an average annual value of $8 million, there's still plenty of room there to keep Bo Horvat, isn't there? Oh, you mentioned projection, and that's something that Rutherford also said. Ah. Our projections when okay. it comes to next season. And those projections, when you hear him say, with a Horvat contract that we have on the table, putting us over the cap, that means he's projecting Andre Kuzmenko to be here. He's projecting Ethan Bear to sign a contract. Because the Canucks currently, if you look at next season, have roughly $14.5 million in cap space for yeah. 14 players. Sign. So yeah. you still have to sign seven more guys at minimum, maybe yeah. even eight. So 
that's how it kind of comes in. If you bank in, say, five million for Kuzmenko, two million million for Ethan Bear, that's seven million. Yep, that leaves you the money. That leaves you seven and a half million, which means, hey, if you're offering Bo even seven, that's, you still have cap space. But when you don't have cap spaces, even when you fill out the roster, put Colson comes in, Hopelander yeah. comes in, nine hundred k each, but that's still one point eight million. So when you fill out the roster with Kuzmenko at five million, Bear at two million. You then, get Bo at even six and a half. Yeah. That puts you over the cap by anywhere from one and a half to two million. Now, like he mentioned, there are ways for them to still fit that in for next year because Tucker Pullman, it seems like he was hinting numerous times that there was more information to come. It may not be good. And maybe, just maybe, he also finds himself on LTIR. Tanner Pearson finds himself on LTIR next season as well if he's not good to go, which seems like a long shot for him to be good to go next season. So... When he says we don't have cap space, he's not wrong with the projections. But when you look at the injury situations, there is a world where you can come back with the same roster and bring everybody back. But you're over the cap. You still don't have the flexibility you're looking for. But I think that was the biggest hint we've heard mm-hmm. about who's coming back next season in terms of how the roster is currently situated. And I think they're pretty set on bringing Kuzmenko and Ethan Bear back. So that's where the money dries up pretty quick, right? Especially with the way things have gone with, with Andre Kuzmenko. And he did say with Kuzmenko that they've sort of opened up negotiations in the last couple of days and are starting to figure out what that is going to look like. And it's probably in the $5 million range. Yeah. If we are projecting it out ourselves, depends on the term of the contract, of course, could be a little bit higher, could be a little bit lower. We'll see where it ultimately ends up. But clearly Jim Rutherford would like to keep Andre Kuzmenko in Vancouver and is deeming it um, more difficult to keep Bo Horvat in Vancouver. So now it leads us to, and, and there's been a lot of discussion about this, what exactly are the Canucks looking for in a trade or at the deadline as they continue to sort of tank this season? <laughs> We're tanking already. Aren't we tanking already? Isn't that what Jim Rutherford said? Um a Horvat trade, a Shen trade, anything that they potentially move at the deadline, but specifically with Horvat, who is their biggest asset and potentially the biggest asset at the deadline this year. People got worried and have been worried about some of the rhetoric about what the Canucks are looking for. Yeah. Is it, you know, players who are already in the NHL, not necessarily prospects, not necessarily picks. Jim Rutherford didn't help that notion today when he talked about wanting you know young nhl players that maybe haven't yet worked out on their entry-level contracts and are looking for a change of scenery these types of things awfully similar to stuff we heard from the previous regime as well but one thing that i like they're looking for the best hockey player available that they can get in a trade is how i would imagine it whether that's a player who's 22 or 19, they're basing it off of who they think is the best player available to them from all the teams that might be talking to them about Bo Horvat. Yeah, and if you look at the teams that are interested in Bo Horvat, most likely are not teams that have a high draft pick. Yeah. You're looking at teams that have a late first-round pick or pick in the 20s, most likely, where they're looking at. So your main piece... Not all first-round picks are equal. Right. So the most valuable piece can't be a late first round pick. And I think everybody agrees. Like if you're trading Bull Horvat, the best piece in a trade can't be a pick in the twenties. Now I do want a pick in the twenties to come back as part of the equation. Yes. But it can't be the best part of that equation. Right? Like I that's how I feel about a return for Bo. Because you should get some draft capital back in the Bo Horvat trade. Yes. Like if you're getting a late first round pick and a B prospect and a third round pick, I mean sure, but it's not it's not it's not nothing enticing, right? And there's nothing like wow there, right? If you get a high draft pick, you're you're excited. If you get a good prospect, you're excited. In addition to that draft pick, well, if you use the the, the Giroux trade from last year as sort of a benchmark, right? Like you're getting a a pretty good you know prospect a player who's played games in the NHL, Owen Tippett, yeah. Plus the first round pick, plus another piece, you know, like that's sort of the benchmark. And I would think with how Bo's played this year, you potentially get even more. Yeah, you probably could. And it comes down to your execution of it. Yes. But the one thing that I do wonder about and what does worry me from what Jim Rutherford mentioned, seeking players that have failed on the entry-level contracts. Yeah. And the notion of it, I'm not against, depending on what type of trade that you make. I mean, we've seen some of it already, right? Dermot, you know, 
to some extent, even though he's on a second contract. How do we determine a player's failed, though? Or not reach his potential, is yeah. what he mentioned. A guy that hasn't reached his potential yet on his entry-level contract one or two years into the National Hockey League. So would that be Alex Newhook? Yeah, potentially. Would uh, that be Phil Tomasino? Potentially. I mean, even if you're on, on the higher end, Alexis Lafreniere would fit that yep. bill. Capo Caco would fit that bill, potentially. You're talking about some high-end prospects or young players who haven't quite hit. Yeah. You know, they would enter that equation as well. The thing I don't love about that as being part of your strategy, or maybe I should say maybe not, and maybe it's not your main strategy, but he, yeah. that's something he focused in on. Are you valuing that over draft picks as capital in and of themselves? Hmm. Are you bypassing the value in accumulating some draft picks to do other things with and trade because you're focused so much about making those selections that take four years? Well, instead of looking for some prospects who haven't yet hit, is it not better potentially for you to accumulate more draft picks and assets and maybe use those assets to go and acquire things you're looking for? To acquire NHL-ready talent. Yeah, or, or maybe a higher-level player. You can package yep. some of that together and do something else and upgrade on it. Yep. You know what I mean? Like Go out he, there and be able to make the deals for the Devon Taves of the world that become cap casualties elsewhere. Yeah, and, and I understand that I've often you know talked about how making deals in the National Hockey League is not like NHL 23. I wish and, it was, though. It'd be so much I mean, simpler. So, so much more simple, know? right? Especially I, when you turn on forced trades. Yes. You know, like... I mean, you make it. <laughs> wish you could do that in real life. It's so much easier in video yes. games. But, you know, you, you can. this stuff is academic in that sense. It's like, hey, accumulate picks and do that. But there is proof of concept by teams doing this already. Yeah. We've seen other teams. Like, you, you talk about Toronto's plan. Forget about the rebuild and how much they rebuilt. Look at the process in which they did their retool or rebuild, or however you want to phrase it. They accumulate assets. Use some of those assets to acquire other things to make your team better. So instead of just being so focused on making the one-for-one -one trade to find that one player where the risk is 50-50 and like somebody texting in is like, why should we believe this plan, which we've seen for 10 years, retool on the fly, is going to be any different? Well, they're banking on their evaluation of talent making the difference in the trades. But it just comes to me, that's my big question listening to all that is yeah. are you so st are you still focused on doing this a traditional old school way of just making one or two simple trades and that one piece coming back being the difference maker and you getting cap space and then signing free agents or are you actually more open-minded to accumulating assets and then using those things in more creative ways to find your solutions instead of trying to nail each single trade and find the one player you're looking for because clearly they've been trying to do that now for one and a half seasons almost yeah and they haven't been able to do it so the the other layer of this that I would say is is kind of a concern to me is the talk about buyouts. Now, when I think about retool on the fly, you know that doesn't mean you're going to get better or hoping to get better overnight. Like, mm -hmm. is next year another year where you're going into training camp and saying we'd hope to be competitive, but this season, if we're being realistic about it, could go either way. But really, our competitive window is two to four years from now, right? Uh, it, Jim Rutherford, when you know, sort of pressed on it by Thomas Drance, mm -hmm. said, well, three years would be, uh, <laughs> it seems like a long timeline from yeah. where he sees it. I really do think um, after the Myers and Pearson contracts come off the books, I think that's more of the timeline when this front office views it to be go time for them. So mm -hmm. that would leave next year as another building year. Potentially. At least that's the way I view it. Well, yeah, at least next year is an, our cup contending season. Yes. But next year would be, I think, for them, a step in the right direction, get a bit closer, and then a year from now we're really ready to go. And all along, he kind of said, it's going to take us a couple years before we get to where we want to get to. The hope had been that this season would be our easier transition to get there and allow them to make some moves and and maybe next year we take a step forward. Now it's becoming increasingly clear that next season is also going to be about, hey, we may have to get through next year yeah. in order for us to do the things we really want to do because we, we haven't been able to move those contracts. Tanner Pearson, now who's injured, yeah. Tyler Myers. Our so contracts on. suck. Yeah, Jim Rutherford that's essentially, essentially what Jim said. Rutherford said today. <laughs> uh, that, that quote just will never die in Vancouver, apparently. Yeah, and you know what? Like, And he mentioned, too, that they failed. Yeah. And... They have, based on what they have promised. Jim came in and talked a big game. Mm -hmm. We're going to come in, make some changes. We're going to turn this around. We're going to make some bold moves. We're going to get, get clear some cap, fl cap flexibility. flexibility. Yep. And he hasn't been able to do it. And, and you know, I've likened it to, you know, how you, you get into a new situation. Remember after the uh, 
when the pandemic hit, we're like, oh, I'm going to learn how to play the piano over yes. this, this, these next two months because I had nothing else to do. And for about two weeks, maybe, you know, you got a little keyboard or yes. whatever. You got an online lesson. You worked on it a little bit. Then what happened after a few weeks? You mm. reverted back to being who you are. That, that I'm going to learn how to speak Spanish. Yeah. You realize you know yeah, I get, it, it's going to take you more than two months to learn how to speak Spanish. Like, I'm not going to become Mozart after two weeks <laughs> or three months. It's going to take some time. And I think part of it was some of that coming in. It's like, oh, we're going to do this. Yeah. We're going to do that. And you're in the moment. You're excited. You think you're going to be able to accomplish it. And then reality hits you. And you're like, this is going to take much longer. And it's a lot harder than I thought it would be. And had you maybe under-promised, people wouldn't be talking about you under-delivering so far. Yeah. Under-promise and over-deliver rather than over-promise and under-deliver. And, uh, you know, he said he hasn't done a good enough job either. So took some accountability, which I know a lot of people have been looking for as well, but maybe uh, fell on deaf ears a little bit with how today went. But to my original point, the biggest point of concern for me is, well, if next year is still sort of a build year, how does that factor in when you're talking about buyouts? Because... Depending on what you do with the cap space, buying out any player just to go and add another sort of just puts a lot of your problems on layaway, so to speak. It creates problems further down the line, but opens up some flexibility for the here and now. So I would worry about that because I look at a lot of the players on this roster and, you know, Tucker Pullman... Because of his injury situation, not really a buyout candidate as it as it stands right now. You'd have questions about that with Tanner Pearson, given the news we heard today and what we've heard over the last week or so regarding his situation. Um, we've talked about Riley Stillman. It's a small-ish buyout, but yeah. it, it only opens up so much money. You know, if you're talking about a buyout that really opens up some space here, Sat, uh, we're, we're talking a lot different type of player than a Riley Stillman type. There are two players to zero in on, and I don't think one is Brock Besser. Just yeah. kind of look at the process. They actually signed Besser. Now, he struggled, and we can talk about whether that was the right decision or not. And They didn't have a ton of options. No, but at the same time, they made a bet. Yeah. You know, like, if if you knew it was this hard for you to clear cap space, and now you're this up against it, and if you actually do value Bull Horvat this much, well, signing Besser... Like, Everyone talks about JT. Like, the Besser contract's really the one that gets in the way of signing Bo. Yeah. Well, they're off a three-year bridge deal. You you didn't have to bring him back. You had some flexibility there. He's not really an essential piece for your team, right? So, But they chose to bring him back. So you can look at that and say that calculation was a wrong one. But I do believe they like him, right? Like, it goes beyond just, hey, they actually thought, okay, we want to make a bet on this guy. So I don't think Besser's a buyout candidate after one year. But Connor Garland is even though I don't like the idea of it. But if you just look at the math, right? Next two years, you buy him out 800K against the cap, 800K the next two years, the next year afterwards. So you're then, opening up a lot of money. Then four years at 1.8 million. Yep. So you're opening up 4 million the next two years, and then it's about 3 million for four years after that. But Garland's probably a productive enough player, like you said, Dan. Do you have to buy him out? I would I would imagine like there's got to be a team that is interested in Garland. You know, even going back to last deadline, there were teams interested. It was just what the Canucks were willing to take back uh, or what they wanted to get in return for Connor Garland. And from what I've heard, they wanted or were hoping to get a first round pick. Yeah. And that was never really on the table no. at any point at the deadline last year. But teams like New Jersey, teams like Toronto, they were interested in Connor Garland and may still be today i mean he is an analytics darling regardless of what you think of connor garland like the underlying numbers do suggest that he's a player that helps drive possession and do good things for your hockey team so uh, even with all of that in mind you know i you should be able to move garland do you have to take a little bit of a contract back so maybe you're not opening up as much cap space as you would with the buyout maybe but to me that's still better than you know, having a, a problem on your hands three years from now with an extra cap penalty. What did Rutherford also say? Some of these guys who are buyout candidates for us, maybe they play well enough down the second half of the season that they're part of the team. Mm-hmm. And if you are bringing in Rick Tockett, and Raymond makes the point too on the text inbox, Garland played for Tockett, was successful well. yep. under Tockett. So there is a world where he still can work here. And to your point, probably is a trade you can make where you get some cap relief, probably pretty close to... the a buyout potentially yeah. or something, right? Like there is some avenue there. So, so I'm with you. But if you look at the candidates, I would, 
he's one that comes to mind if you want to look at it. The other one is the Oliver Ekman Larson one. And Bick talks about this all the time, like do it, do it. I've been casting pessimism about ownership's willingness to shed, you know, spend $19 million for this guy to not be here. But what did Rutherford also mention about the cap's going to go out and go up in a couple of years? So next season, if you buy out OEL, it's only 140000 on the cap. You essentially open up the entire $7 million cap hit that he has for yes. next year. Now, the two years after that, it goes up to about $4.5 million for a couple of years. So less savings. But it coincides with what Rutherford said with the cap going up significantly. Yeah. And that's a player who we talked about this year. Does he really fit? Like, is that maybe your best avenue? Mm-hmm. Is that the one he was he's he's really hinting at here? Because that's the one that gives you the most relief you're looking for next season, and it isn't as onerous as it seems because there are some lesser years and a couple two million years, and mm-hmm. you're talking about seven million dollar players. So even if it's a four million cap hit, you're still saving three million for a guy who's not giving you three million dollars worth of play, right? Is that the one that is that the big card then, as far as he was talking about? Because we just went through the process here. Like, who else is a buyout buyout candidate? Those are the only two that yeah. make sense in terms of clearing up space and for guys that they're not as enamored with. Clearing up significant space. Um, the OEL one, I, I just, because I don't think next year is a year you go, that's why it's a bit of a worry. Yeah. But also, there's no other avenues of getting rid of this player. Yeah. <laughs> Realistically, uh, he is on your books until otherwise, because. Until the contract expires, maybe he ends up on LTIR with an injury, or you buy him out because he ain't getting traded with that no-move clause. All right, Frank Valley is going to join us. Uh, his take on uh, everything coming out of Vancouver today and what he sees as the path forward. That's next on Canuck Central. Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Our next guest, he joins us every Monday on Canuck Central. It is Frank Saravalli, Daily Faceoff, uh, our insider here every Monday. Uh, thanks for this, Frank. Um, another Jim Rutherford press conference that just got uh, the whole hockey world buzzing. What are, your, uh, what are your thoughts on what Jim had to say today? Whew, where to start? I mean, right? there's so many different facets of it to unpack. Um, actually, honestly, the very least of it being the actual reason for the press conference, which was the Tanner Pearson injury yeah. and that process. But from Bo Horvat to major surgery to Jim being disappointed in his own uh, role in, in the Canucks mess this season to... I don't know where to go next. I mean, it, there's. <laughs> tell me where you want to start. Yeah, well, it's uh, the the stuff with Bo is is maybe the most pressing because you know here's the captain. They've said like I just don't remember any sort of negotiation. Uh, I mean, sometimes negotiations do end up in the media, but it's very rare you see the the president of a hockey team sort of make it uh, out into the media. And you know. I, it sort of spells which way this is going with Bo Horvat, and now has there been any secret? No, it, it there really hasn't. Now it's just about okay. It's um, when and where? When and where exactly? And and to be honest, that's that's the way I've felt for, based on the reporting that I've done for a while, like months now, dating back to August. The trouble is, the JT Miller saga felt almost exactly the same way. Like Mm. I think everyone assumed JT Miller was gone based on the way that unfolded and the hard ball that the Canucks played that that's the only caveat I've allowed for to this point, but his teammates, I think his camp, everyone is sort of prepared for he's as good as gone. And then when you hear Jim Rutherford say today, that they've made their best, they've taken their best shot, well, that spells it out for you because my belief is the Canucks offer that was put on the table for Bo Horvat starts with a seven. And I don't think that is in the neighborhood of getting it done. 
I, I know you kind of mentioned it too, that there is a team out there that could be offering him up to $9 million per season. And, you know, when I think of it, I'm like, it's insanity. Well, why would anybody pay him that much money? He's not worth that money. And you start looking at some teams available, and the one team that would make some sense is Columbus in free agency, right? Like, they, I could see them throwing that money at him and saying, we need a senator come come in here. So if he's actually looking at a $60 million contract potentially in free agency— Maybe there is a res- there is some resignation here within the organization that they're not going to be able to get a deal done contract wise. And as far as a trade, to is be concerned- fair though, Sat, not and not to interrupt you, I actually thought what Jim Rutherford said today was really interesting in that they felt like the market for Bo Horvat heading into this season was one thing, and what he's done this year has blown it into another stratosphere mm-hmm. that they're just not prepared to pay the premium for what this year has brought to the table. And in some ways, I actually don't blame them for that. Oh, I, I totally don't disagree. And even heading into the season, I was, you know, I, I looked at it and said, hey, you can't keep both JT and, and Bo. And I think Bo has more trade value. So, so make the Bo Horvat trade. That's always kind of been my opinion on it. But how far away are we from his market really starting to heat up trade-wise still? Because we keep talking about this, right? And every week is kind of like the Bo Horvat update. And it's very clear where the organization is going. But it seems like they're still not at that stage where they can make a trade. Well, they're, I think they're getting there, and I, I honestly think over the last couple of weeks there have been increased calls in terms of the feeling out process that takes a while to develop. But what was the result of the Canucks front office pro and amateur scouting meetings these past few days? Um, who are the teams that they have really identified as having the assets to be players in the Bo Horvat sweepstakes? You know, who gets them really excited? Because this isn't just about draft capital. And you heard Jim Rutherford reiterate that today that I thought was one of the most important takeaways. He said it before, but saying it again, we're not necessarily just looking for the top picks because they're not they're not really embracing. That's the other part of it is we we wanted to really find out and hear it from the horse's mouth are the Canucks finally once and for all going to embrace a full rebuild and a full scale teardown? And the answer is no. And so that means you're looking 25 and under, and you're looking for not just quality prospects uh, and players that have pedigree, but in some ways players that haven't worked out to this point. So those are your marching orders when trying to help determine where Bo Horvat ends up landing because it it's probably not just going to be about who offers the best draft capital. Well, here in Vancouver, you know, people hear that and they think of like, you know, Sven Berchi and, and some others that were acquired uh, by oh, the God. previous regime. Why, um, why go to such dark places? <laughs> uh, hey, it's Vancouver in the winter, man. It's, it's all we know is darkness. Um, but it's at the same time, like I heard that and I could think of just, off the top of my head, like Nashville's one of the teams that that could be interested in Bo. That could also mean like Phil Tomasino and Dante Fabro as a package for for Bo Horvat, and that that doesn't sound too bad to me. Maybe I'm looking at it from a you know the, the brightest point of view, but it, there's a lot of different types of players that sort of fall under that category, Frank. Right. So what what is your priority? Is it pedigree? Is it what you've shown to this point in your career is it mm-hmm. I, I mean who knows like it could be a combination of a million things i when i think about the sort of ideal type player um i i think of someone like kirby doc and i think of the return that the chicago blackhawks got for doc who is is in his 22 year old season i tweeted about this last night is on pace for 50 points has already set a new career high on a new team in Montreal. And rather than draft capital, like that would be exactly the type of player that the Vancouver Canucks would be interested in. Obviously, you know, you're dealing with a totally different type of trade for one team that's sort of trying to jumpstart their rebuild and another team that's just in the process of tearing it down. But if you're talking purely just stylistic and, positional and age scheme and pedigree like that would that would be the type of guy that I'd be thinking of yeah and 
we'll ultimately hadn't, see. Hadn't broken 26 points right. in 70 games. And then you see the upside and see that he can take off. And and trust me, there are a lot. The reason I tweeted that last night was actually more of an inside joke. Mm-hmm. That there were people betting before the Kirby Doc trade saying this guy's never going to hit 50 points. And for whatever reason, that was a number that they picked. And I noticed last night he was on 50, so I tweeted it. <laughs> well, I mean, there are ways for this to work out. And I think where a lot of fans here feel don't feel the inspiration is because they've heard, like Dan mentioned, the same plan in the past that we're not rebuilding, we are retooling, we're going after some prospects that need a second chance. And those trades didn't really work out. So when you look at the proof of concept in this market, it's not there. And I think that's something that has a lot of Canucks fans worried, but it ultimately comes down to your evaluation of talent. So everything I heard today from Rutherford, Frank, I keep looking at it and saying, it just comes down to whether you can nail your trades or not. It's really that simple because you look at the teams that have had success in the retools and rebuilds, they've nailed their trades. And so far, the evaluation of talent by this management team bit of a mixed bag, but some of it has been good with Kuzmenko, of mm-hmm. course, and Mikheyev, and people like what Ethan Bear is kind of bringing here. So isn't that what it ultimately comes down to, is the their ability to evaluate talent compared to other retools that have, been, have taken a similar path? Yes, and I also think, to Jim Rutherford's point that he made, is you can go down the rebuild path, but there's also no guarantee that you hit your draft picks. And Canucks fans, unfortunately, know that pretty well, too. Um, so I think that's a big part of it. It's, and you know, taking a step back, um, I've been very sort of open about my thoughts and opinion on where the Canucks are at right now and where they're heading or where I think they should head. And, and I've sort of, I've been in the Thomas Drance camp for a while of, taking this team and and just committing full scale to that teardown. But I do understand it a little bit more after hearing it from Jim Rutherford's perspective that first off, there's no guarantee that you get equal value if you were to trade Hughes and trade Demko and trade whoever else it might be from this current core. Two, the current core is actually in the age scheme that you'd hope to you know, build around and, and more than that, yes, I know they're outside of their entry level contact tracks. And yes, I did hear Drance's rant earlier today on Canucks talk, but that said, um, you're essentially hoping that if you're trading those players for purely futures, that you can draft as well as you did getting those guys to begin with. And there's really a very small percentage chance that that could happen. So I think what's really interesting is it's going to take a while and it's going to require patience, but rather than six to eight years of truly miserable hockey, that there is a chance, I think, if you if you act swiftly enough and, to your point, win the correct trades that or win more than you lose, you know, you got to be eight out of ten or something like that, that you have a chance based on different glimpses that we've seen to really raise the ceiling for what's possible for this team. And so I'm, I'm kind of trying to take an open mind and and take a step back and hear what Jim Rutherford said today and process it. And it's, it may not be the correct answer, but I can understand how they're arriving at that point. If that makes any sense. And the thing for me, just looking at this too, Frank is what I want to see in general is this is a front office that says they're embracing analytics, the new way of doing things, right? Bigger front office. They've made a number of hires and, and they're really trying to take a big forward step in terms of hockey management. And sometimes you hear Rutherford talk about the things they're trying to do. It's still a very traditional bet in trying to rebuild your team or at the very least, least retooling your team. And the... I say maybe the aversion to draft picks and only talking about them as, hey, they're going to be good in three to four years, instead of looking at it and saying, it's not just about the draft pick in and of itself. It's about having a lot of those draft picks and then being assets that give you capital to make other moves. So instead of trying to thread the needle potentially to try to make the trade to get um, the right prospect in the Bull Horvat trade, 
maybe you should be prioritizing getting as many, you know, good picks and prospects that you can get that are futures and then maybe use those as assets to go and make some other trades. And, and maybe they're open to doing that and that's something they are willing to do. But that's the part of the equation I hope to consider instead of just looking at it maybe through the tunnel vision of old school thinking of, oh, we got to make this one trade to make this one solution instead of trying to be more open minded about the avenues where you can make these trades. Well, that's the thing, Sad, is I, I listen today thinking that they are open to some of those avenues. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, it's impossible to accurately answer completely which direction they're going to go because a lot of it's going to be value-based in terms of who stays and who goes, right? So um, that's what I heard today is that they are more open to exploring the different possibilities. And that's that's kind of the point of this of, of the, that I was trying to make and I don't know if I made it clearly enough was that the answer that Canucks fans heard today may not have been what they wanted to hear but that doesn't mean that it was the wrong answer. Yeah, it's um it comes down to execution at this point and there not enough has happened especially with But that's the, on, that's that's my point is that's on the rebuild side too. Yeah. And look, there when I, There's when been I, plenty of botched rebuilds that have gone on forever. Uh, I mean, Buffalo and Ottawa and Edmonton. I mean, uh, the, you can go down the list. Like, there's been a few. New Jersey's had to go through it a couple of times as well. Um, so it's there's no easy way to to build an NHL team towards being a contender, as we've seen over recent years. And you know, a lot of times, uh, teams like Boston and and others have have stayed at the top just because they are so well managed and they've kept working it around the same core for so many years. But um, you know, on Bruce Boudreaux, um, it, it's been a tough go. It's really uncomfortable right now for for Bruce. I can imagine it's un uncomfortable for everybody. But uh, today, you don't often hear um, as candid a response as we got from Jim Rutherford and saying that they have actively been pursuing potential replacements at different points. Well, I mean, the cat's been out of the bag to this point, so there's no use in trying to cover it up or, or lie, and that's not in Jim Rutherford's nature anyway. Yeah, he can deny it all he wants. Like, we all know what the truth is, right? Well, and that's the thing. He yeah. didn't. He just said, yeah, I, I, not only am I, have I been talking to people, but I've been doing it for months. Yeah. So while that may be uncomfortable for Bruce Boudreaux to hear, and, and this may be totally unconventional by NHL standards in general, um, here's where I can tell you where things stand at the moment. There's been clearly lots of speculation and linkage to Rick Tockett. Um, the Canucks have indeed very recently engaged with Rick Tockett and there's clearly mutual interest. There has been work on Rick Tockett's part um, behind the scenes, I think to begin building out a staff that not is just, is not just linked to assistance, but also further than that, uh, potentially, you know, medical staff, trainers, things like that, that have, has already been in the works. Um, now that said, there's no, there's nothing imminent. There's no deal between the Canucks and, and Rick Tockett. And frankly, there's been nothing promised because this is not going to be any shock to you guys, but the Canucks are resisting every urge to mm -hmm. make this change. Yep. They don't want to do this. And in some ways, the fact that this has all leaked and they're still not doing it speaks to how much they are resisting the urge to do this. So um, some would say, well, how much worse could it get? I mean, it's already all out there for everyone to see. I mean, Bruce Boudreaux is, is waving on his underwear is waving on a flagpole <laughs> in downtown yeah. Vancouver, but they they're still not pulling the trigger and again today this week two days off would have been another ample time to do it and then there's going to be the all-star break and the bye week and then what i personally my theory is the canucks don't want to pay three coaches at one time yeah and will try and do everything they can to not do that and since it's already gone to this point What's a few more months, I believe, is part of the thinking. Well, I know a lot of fans here have been talking about how what's the point of even bringing in a coach's bump, and I agree with that, especially when you're you know, in game 44 of the season coming up on Wednesday, hosting the Tampa Bay Lightning here in Vancouver, and 
hey, the time to make a run is, is far gone. So you're not doing it for a bump. And one thing Rutherford mentioned today, kind of, you know, tongue in cheek about we're tanking this year, but he, he went at great pains to try to say without saying that they're going to do everything they can from management's perspective to allow this team to have a bottom five finish. You know, try to make some trade. This is at the deadline. Shut some guys down, potentially. And you can't force players to try to lose. He mentioned that. Guys are going to work hard and try to win hockey games. That's what they're, what they're wired to do. But maybe they are going to do the things they need to do from management's perspective to make the roster worse. And he cited sending Hoaglander and Putkolz and, and Niels Allman, guys who were contributing to the minors this year. And it worsens your roster. gives those guys experience, but you're not trying to win necessarily. What other trades can you see them making here outside of Bo Horvat and Luke Shen? Do you think they have an avenue here to move some money as well that that has a bit more term on it, whether it is a Besser, whether it is a Garland, to maybe encourage that bottom five finish a bit more by the deadline? Well, yeah, I think Horvat. So you, you mentioned Horvat, you mentioned Shen. Yeah. I think the next one is Besser. I think that's the next easiest guy to move with the least pain possible. Um, there will be some because the expectations over the last 18 months for Brock Besser have changed rather dramatic, dramatically, I would say. Um, and I think if you're really serious about creating cap flexibility, that that's one really strong way to do it. I think, you know, the other way is, and it was interesting, the Kuzmenko comment about, um, you know, our preference is to keep him and we've begun negotiations like as, as intriguing of a player as he has been, the fact that he's on such an inexpensive deal, the fact that he's actually older than Brock Besser and some of the other players in Vancouver's core. Um, personally, I think he's a really interesting trade chip and more so than, than a, a resign because you're able to really seize on the value of, um, not just the season he's had, but also, um, there's unknowns that come with this, like, you know, whether it's locking into a long-term deal, um, and, and frankly, what must be considered is the prospect of not having to have another long-term larger salary cap hit on your books, that there's opportunity cost in that and potentially spending it in a different way. So I think all those things should be considered and, and will be. Um, but I would focus outside of those two on Besser and then on Kuzmenko. Uh, final uh, thing on the uh, power rankings of things the Canucks are dealing with right now. But as, as we mentioned earlier, the uh, the press conference was called uh, to talk about Tanner Pearson and his injury situation and everybody hoping for the best for Pearson on his health status moving forward, of course. But uh, it did feel to me, Frank, as – if the Canucks um, were really trying to show how important this situation is to them, because I don't think we've heard the end of this as far as where this goes from here with Tanner Pearson and how this all played out. No, but it, it's kind of completely lost in yeah. everything else that was talked about. The tidal wave of conversation that frankly is going to be picked through the rest of the week and beyond um, and rightfully so, but I do think it's a really important conversation that needs to be had, not just from a Canucks internal perspective, but also from a PA perspective, which they're kind of slow to move at this point. Um, and also in desperate need of some new leadership. Um, but when you hear the players talk about it, I think you need to not just internally for Tanner Pearson's sake, but optically, for whoever whatever players are coming in here next to make sure that everyone knows that you have the best interests of the players in your medical staff at heart and i don't question that by any means and mistakes happen um in in all walks of life and employment fields but in this case you know you need to be known as a team that's doing everything possible for your players to make it a destination that players want to be and more to the point and and frankly the encapsulating this entire, um, you know, last few weeks or months is the best thing that Jim Rutherford and, and Patrick Alvine can do for the Vancouver Canucks is start to begin eliminating drama points one mm -hmm. by one and what? make this a sane place to play. And for a number of players um, where the speculation has run rampant for the coach, 
for whatever it may be, there's been way too much of it. And to begin to steady that ship in what's been stormy seas, I think is, is probably before even making transactions, number one on Jim Rutherford's uh, radar. Well, I do think the reason he even addressed it, because there was really no new details or information at all outside of- We learned like, nothing. Exactly. All it, it was- It was like a politician's speech. Is like It was almost like, hey, we're going to have a press conference about nothing. Exactly. And it was, you know what it was for? It was for what you mentioned to try to get ahead of it to some degree, for posterity, for PR, but also to do it without opening, your, opening yourself up to any sort of liability. Because like you mentioned, this is something that's going to have to go through the PA now- How's Pearson? How's this all going to unfold? And everything these guys say publicly about a situation is going to get scrutinized really, really deeply. So, because typically you'll hear and, some and more details. And make no mistake, there yeah. is liability here. Sat. Absolutely, I absolutely, I agree. That if Tanner Pearson can't play again, that make no mistake, there will probably be something that comes from it. Yeah, and that's why I think this was really for posterity to some degree to try to get ahead of it, but also do it without opening yourself to, self up to any extra liability. And the fact that they didn't say anything tells you what you mentioned. There's a lot of liability potentially at stake. Yeah, and I, I think that's probably secondary to the optics that I was just talking about is you you need to be on the record and front and center saying that you're taking responsibility and making sure that whatever issues exist or don't exist, perceived or, or real, that you're clearing up and cleaning up because things like that can't happen. Frank, uh, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this. Thanks, guys. Hang in there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, never a dull moment in uh, in Vancouver, that's for sure. <sighs> never, never. I, we are going to go to break in a second. But, yeah, the Pearson story, I, like I said, I just hope he – can play hockey again. Yeah. He gets through this. He still has a long road to go, it seems, for his recovery. But that was my takeaway. Listen, they were very careful what they said and what they didn't say because there's still more to come. Even if we don't hear about it behind the scenes, there'll be there'll be a lot more that they have to take care of in this situation. Uh, that story uh, not yet done. Much like a lot in Vancouver. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. We'll take some of your texts and questions. Continue talking and discussing about the many things that unfolded out of Jim Rutherford's news conference today. It's Canuck Central.